Joe Benora is the founder and president of Catalyst Asset Management, a multifamily development firm, and Catalyst Community Capital, a mission-based lender that provides funding for affordable housing and small businesses. He has over 20 years experience in real estate finance and development, specializing in public-private partnerships, urban development, and other cool projects. Since 2010, he's funded over $660 million in small business and commercial real estate loans nationwide and developed over $260 million in multifamily and commercial real estate projects in Florida. Joe lives in St. Pete with his wife and two kids. He is on the board of directors of the Boys and Girls Club of Lee County and the Central Florida Regional Housing Trust and is a member of a number of community-focused organizations, including the Urban Land Institute. He's a mediocre golfer, according to him, a struggling artist, and an MMA enthusiast. Hey, Joe, how's it going? It's going fantastic. I'm so happy to have you here today to have this chat with you. I'm honored to be here. You've uh, made my dream come true of being on a podcast. I've been wanting to do this forever. Well, at least I, since this podcast came this out. This is what I do. I try to make dreams come true. So I feel like <laughs> well, I mission accomplished. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So you have one of the most interesting backgrounds of anyone I've ever had on the show. <laughs> and probably uh, the most unique in, in terms of your education and where you've been, how you've gotten to where you are. It was a, a circuitous route to get to where I'm at today. Yeah. But uh, it's been interesting. It's been fun. Um, you know, so... It's probably the hardest question to answer at the beginning of this, but I'll try my best to give you the uh, abridged version of my life. But um, so my dad was an entrepreneur who was self-employed, and uh, I think I took a page from that book. Uh, I'm the youngest of three. I have two older brothers. Um, but I always laugh now and tell people I'm, I, I think I'm essentially unemployable just because most of my career has been as a self-employed person. <laughs> and so when you come from that path, they ever go work for somebody again, it's really difficult. But um I think it was in eighth grade when I, I first said I wanted to be a, a stockbroker. So the movie Wall Street was out, and it was uh, just I was always interested in like money, finance. I had a knack for math, and I think I always just liked the excitement and the energy. And so I, you know, getting out of high school uh, and starting to think about college, um, and just to step back, school for me was, um, I think, starting in high school probably. I just my interest in school. It was hard. I think, you know, now they call it ADD, but you know, back then it was just, you know, I was a bad kid. <laughs> so, you know, just not paying attention. Um, and so, and I, I think I was in a rush to get into my life. Right. And so I got a job at a bank, uh, at a high school and, uh, was introduced to the world of banking and finance and, uh, working there for about two years. And, and through that period, it was interesting. Uh, but also enlightening that I, it made me realize I did not want to work at a bank. And uh, so I'd gotten into the mortgage business, um, kind of moonlighting while working at the bank. Uh, and that evolved into me setting up my own company uh, with my brother, my middle brother. Uh, and that was back in 1999. And uh, we went on a nice run. It was a great time to get into the business of real estate, finance, and mortgages. Uh -huh. and, and lived through the times being in Southwest Florida, owning a mortgage and real estate company and you know, kind of getting involved in what was... And even today is probably the, one of the biggest industries in this area. So we, uh, we grew, you know, we set the company up and uh, at its peak, we had four offices, uh, two in Florida, one in New York City and one in uh, Arizona. And it was a great run. Um, being a young kid, young, relatively speaking, my you know, mid 20s, uh, you know, 100 people working for us. And uh, we did really well. Uh, mortgage, obviously, you know how that story ended in 2007 and eight with the 
market collapsed and uh, it was, uh, I think as time goes and, and looking at my life, you know, not having kids or being married at that time was probably a blessing in that, you know, uh, you know, it was a tough time for anybody in real estate and the finance business. Um, and so, you know, just kind of reflecting and looking at what I wanted to do next, you know, got into uh, and moved from that into eventually setting up a business to do government lending on the commercial side. So we're doing SBA lending and USDA lending, uh, you know, raise some capital through some funds and set up a business that ultimately grew to doing real estate development and finance. And, you know, I think our, we ended up doing about $650 million of lending nationwide and developing just over 1,300 multifamily units. Wow. Uh, and then from there, you know, just the most recent venture setting up uh, Catalyst, the, the current company, uh, with a little bit of a different model, uh, which we can get into. But, you know, it's essentially doing similar things, real estate development and lending, uh, but with more of a community focus. And I guess now you would call it a social enterprise. Mm-hmm. So uh, that leads me today. And that's that is a very high level. There's some uh, record labels and magazines and things that I was involved <laughs> with along the way that were probably more interesting than what I just described. But uh but that's maybe for another day and when we have about 10 hours to talk because uh, those are interesting stories. Yeah, no, <laughs> that sounds interesting. So so tell me, I'm going to back up for just a second. Where were you this whole time? Were you like, where are you from? So from New Jersey, uh, but moved down to Cape Coral, Florida in 1987. At the time, I think the median age in Cape Coral was 87 years old. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was, uh, it was just early stage of, of Southwest Florida growth and, you know, just, Spent most of my you know, childhood years growing up in Cape Coral, went to Cape Elementary, Cape High, graduated in 98. And, uh, and right when we set up the business, uh, you know, I think it was early 2000s, uh, set up the office in Tampa, uh, which was our second office. And that's when I really got kind of exposed to the Tampa area. Loved it and uh, have since lived in Tampa and St. Pete. Uh, and kind of gone back and forth between there and here, but I still live, I'm in St. Pete today. And uh, our office is in Tampa. Uh, but a lot of our business is down in South of Florida, Fort Myers, Cape yeah. Coral. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're if you're here locally, you have a very visible development that's happening right now. We do. We do. It was a project called City Walk, um, and you know the first phase of it is an apartment community called West End at City Walk. It's in downtown Fort Myers. Um, that was of all the projects I've been involved with is by far the most fun to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a site that I would you know. It's an irreplaceable site uh, for many reasons, uh, but but for me and and you know I'm a inside a struggling artist I think uh, so I'm a creative which I never knew until you know in the last few years I think I discovered the fact that I was uh, right brained and so I was not uh, I always thought I was the more logical type but mm. but it turns out I'm a, a more artistic and I think this project in particular was fun because it was designing it. Um, really where it's at, right next to the Edison home and next to the historic areas and in the downtown area. Uh, it was fun kind of coming up with a concept and a look that, that I thought would be timeless and I thought the community would embrace because I think it's important. Yeah. I mean, it's an iconic site. I've lived here my whole life too. And I mean, that's that first street village, that one just block that no one, that never moved, right? I mean, it almost moved right before the recession that you described. And you did it. I think they nicknamed that property the Dust Bowl is yeah. what the neighbors called it because <laughs> it was just a vacant site for so long. But before that, um, I remember in high school going to a nightclub there. Danceteria, I think, was the club that was on that site. It was a retail <laughs> strip center. And I remember I would tell people that story. You know, and it's, it's funny because so with the development in this business, you know, local knowledge is, is so important. I would put it up there as one of the most critical items 
uh, at least in my experience, just knowing the market. And, and that's really been an advantage for me in this area because growing up here, all the projects I've done have been properties that have you know been on the market or they're available. But most people that would do a project of this size or from out of market and just couldn't get comfortable with like downtown Fort Myers as an example. There were just yeah. no rent comps or anything. And so, but I just saw that site as having such huge potential, but also knowing the history of it has been fun. We built yeah. a property in Cape Coral that I remember we used to go uh, in high school, go out there camping, you know, it's like the place where you'd you know, drink yeah. beers and then run. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that oh, was, yeah. and now it's an apartment complex. And so, uh, so yeah, it's been, uh, it's helped, but yeah, the site's been, um, it's been a great project and it's, uh, it's almost complete now. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. It's exciting to see it happen. So congrats Thank you. on that. Thank you. Um, so you are not my typical guest for future makers. I mean, we're here talking about credentials, getting credentials beyond a high school diploma. You are one of these folks that have been able to sort of break the mold of what we know. We know that, you know, folks that have a bachelor's degree have about half the unemployment rate of people who only have a high school diploma. We know that two out of three jobs will require some sort of credential beyond high school in Florida by 2025. So you break the mold. You are not my typical guest. I have no initials behind my name. So there was no MBA or no other uh, credentials. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, again, I, when I looked at school and I looked at what I was trying to do in my life and my career, I really had to assess whether or not it was important to, to have it, right? Because it's an investment of time and money, obviously. But, you know, when I was 19 and I was, when I started my first company, the first year out, the, the money that I made in that business exceeded any amount of money that I would have made getting a job working for somebody. And at that point, I was still contemplating college, you know, going to school. And I went, you know, I, I did some classes at Edison at the time. And, and, and honestly, I just, I didn't, other than having something on the wall, to me, it just didn't, I'd, the time that it would take that I'd have to invest, I thought was better spent investing in the business and myself. And it was going to yield more than a, than a college degree would. And not to, not to downplay the value of a degree. And, and I think it's extremely important if you're looking for jobs, uh, because as an employer, you look at that stuff, right? You want to look at, hey, what's the, the education and the background? But as, in a, as a self-employed person, there's really nobody to do that judgment or assessment of you because you're just yourself, right? And so uh, unless I was trying to impress myself with a degree, it wasn't really necessary. And I thought the four years that I would invest in college uh, you know, it would be four years I can invest in a business and grow it. And that's, that's what I decided to do. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a great point. And I think that entrepreneurship and, and being able to start something from scratch, new, new, make, you know, make jobs for other people. I think it's a really important part and sort of that entrepreneurial spirit is an important part of where education needs to go. Like we need to always be teaching everyone to be entrepreneurs. Even if you work for somebody, I think you should be thinking like an entrepreneur. You know, I heard of something interesting yesterday uh, from the, uh, I think it was the head of the Florida Chamber of Commerce. And, and it, was a, it was a point about businesses where the number one quality or attribute that they're looking for now is critical thinking mm-hmm. in, their, in their prospective employees. And I think that as a self-employed person or an entrepreneur, uh, that is one thing you have to have and develop, right? Like the ability to, and when I say critical thinking, I mean like problem solving, right? And that's one thing that, you know, I think in, in traditional education might not be an emphasis or a focus, which is just having the ability to work through problems, right? So my job as a developer on the, when I wear that hat, the developer hat is 
I always tell people it's just a series of fires constantly. <laughs> so yeah. it is a consistent stream of problems that need to be quickly addressed, assessed, and solved. And you have to be able to do it, you know, in a way that obviously you make the right decisions. Sometimes you don't, but most times you try to. But you have to be able to like make those decisions and you have to be able to understand how to fix those problems. And so I think uh, for me, a quality that I think has helped me out significantly in my career and in life has been um, an ability to reverse engineer things. So start with the end product and work backwards to mm -hmm. so see where you want to end up and, and go from there and to see how you got there. And so that kind of critical thinking skill, I think is an important thing. So when you talk about schools and like, you know, the curriculum that entrepreneurship and training in this, you know, education system, some components of that I definitely think should be, you know, part of the, the curriculum. And that's one of them is just yeah. problem solving because it doesn't seem to have as much emphasis. I have two kids and, and um, that critical thinking, you know, is not necessarily something they hit on a lot in school. Yeah. Well, I think in post-secondary education there, they definitely do. And I think that one of the things that in, in fact, I think another guest that I'll be speaking to later on in the season is going to be talking about, the badging program that they're doing at FGCU where they are actually showing the competencies that you, that you acquire by getting various degrees, uh, critical thinking, communication skills, those, those things being some of those. But I want to get to something about you specifically. And that is how the heck did you learn so much about finance without getting any <laughs> formal training in that? Uh, well, nowadays, Google is probably about your best source of any information you ever want to find. I mean, there's like an infinite amount of data and information available online. But what I did is I have, again, going back to my ADD, I think one um, positive kind of side effect of having that is uh, curiosity. And I'm an extremely curious person. So I go down rabbit holes constantly. Uh, and so how did I learn about finance? Again, the reverse engineering, right? So I would look at anything that I was trying to figure out and I would just look at the end product and be like, all right, what are the, what are the parts that led to that sum, right? Which made that whole and just break it out. And, you know, I have a tendency to, um, when I try to understand something, I try to understand it in simple, basic terms, right? Cause a lot of times these things seem complex, but ultimately pretty much everything you can think about is breaks down to very basic elements. Mm -hmm. And so I was just able to figure out, you know, with finance and funny enough, I mean, in finance, <laughs> A lot of the programs when I was, uh, you know, in the lending side and the, in the mortgage business and the commercial lending side, you know, we made up a lot of programs. When I say made up, we, we created programs based on needs that were not being met in the market. So there was a demand for certain types of financing that wasn't out there. And so what you find in any industry and banking and finance is, is especially one of them, that people just kind of stick with what they know. If you're a banker that's been in banking 25 years, you know how you do what you do and that's oh, what yeah. you do, right? And mm -hmm. so if you have somebody who comes with some kind of idea that's outside of that, it's usually just a no because, you know, it's not what you do and people don't right. like to change up or it might be uncomfortable. And so I think I was, um, I've always kind of challenged that, you know, which is, you know, the why, you know, like when your kid asks why a thousand times, you because know. Because that's the way we've always done it. And that's exactly, I mean, you know, if I've, you know, so many times heard that, you know, it's like the because, mm -hmm. which drives me nuts. My wife does that to our kids. Like that's why she was just because I'm like, well, you know, give them some explanation because that curiosity, that why 
is so important and you lose it as you get older, right? You stop questioning things and you just kind of like fall in line. And that's to me, again, that's how I learned is just, just asking these questions. Why? And when I would get an answer that didn't satisfy me, I'd keep going. Right. So it's like, why can't I do that? They were like, well, I don't know. And then I would just dig. And so we were able to create some pretty cool products, which kind of lead you into the next, you know, like our nonprofit and what we're doing, but it's, um, the creativity and the ability to like put deals, like if you just look at like how things get financed, you know, it's like, well, you know, if I lend you this money and you're going to pay me back and here's, I secure it. And then, you know, you need some equity and you know, well, if I gave you this investment, how much return would I need to get to make it worthwhile? And it was, again, just asking kind of basic questions. And then I, again, I just kind of dug in. I read every book that I could find. Now I do everything online. I read white papers. I read, you know, yeah, I see presentations. I, and even to this day, I still just, I geek out on that stuff, mm. man. You know, I'm like the nerd that like actually like, l- like listens to these things. I listen to like nonstop podcasts about business finance and philosophy and every other subject yeah. matter. <laughs> so you're a lifelong learner, which is what we promote. You mm-hmm. just have gone about it a very different way. Again, you know, it's curiosity, right? I mean, I think lifelong learners, are, yeah, I, I am. And I always mm-hmm. will be because a, I think you just, you know, you always want to improve. I mean, I always want to feel like I'm improving in in all different facets of my life. And I think learning just because it's not just education, it's just your view and perspective on everything Mm because it all connects. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, a lifelong learner for sure. um, Just out of that same curiosity. Yeah. So, you know, I really do want to hear more about your nonprofit, the it's Catalyst Community Capital. Yeah, that's right. Um, Why, you know, all this success, doing your for-profit side of the business. Why did you start a nonprofit? I get that question quite a bit. Um, so, you know, I, I read something not too long ago about like uh, the evolution of our brains and as people and how we, you know, at different stages of life, you kind of look at things differently. And, and so I think I hit that midlife. I'm uh, 42 this year. Uh, I think it was about when I was 38, 39. And I, I've heard, read something about like males at that age. It's almost like the midlife. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say crisis because I don't want to think like I'm in a crisis. Did you get a Corvette? I did not get a Corvette, no. Not yet. <laughs> but I would. They're pretty cool looking. <laughs> I got a Tesla. Um, <laughs> oh, hey. I, I got the new version of that, I guess, maybe. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, but I, you know, having two kids and, and being at the point in my life, and we had some success. And, and I really just felt like, you know, you get that kind of feeling people go through like, you know, what's the purpose, you know, mm-hmm. what are you doing? So I was really just evaluating myself professionally and, and personally and thinking about professionally with the business, you know, I was looking at, and I really do look at, you know, older people, people that, you know, have been through things and I, and they've, there's a certain amount of wisdom that you accumulate just living a life. Right. And so I would look at the people that I admired the most you know, professionally and personally and, and their stories and, and almost all of them follow the same kind of path, right? You know, they've had some success in business. Ultimately, they go into some kind of politics, whether they run or they're involved in politics. They want to influence policy because they want to affect change. And then eventually at their kind of last stage of it, they go into philanthropy, right? So they, and they give it away. And, and I thought that was really interesting. And I thought, I wonder if there's a way to, to consolidate this business or these, these stages into one thing so that I could just essentially work forever. <laughs> you know, like I could create a model where um, I'm really doing all these things at once. And so I, I thought about this, the business of having a for-profit and the business of setting up a nonprofit so that the for-profit could help generate, you know, income, revenue, wealth that could help almost feed into the nonprofit and the nonprofit can get additional resources to help the community. Right. And so, 
And then this, our particular nonprofit is getting certified as a community development financial institution or CDFI, mm-hmm. which is a treasury department certification. And that, that to me started, you know, tying in the policy side, right? The legislation and that the, you know, the, the way to influence policy that can effectuate change. And so that was really the idea was that, you know, let's pull these three things into one and the nonprofit was the best, you know, venue for that, the best platform to set up. And I tell you, it's been, um, on the one hand, it's been, a, you know, it's been a heavy lift because prior to that, I've been involved in nonprofits on boards, but have never run a nonprofit. Right. So it's a learning curve. And, and I only ran it the way I know how to run a business, which is like an enterprise, which I think is actually should be the case in some nonprofits running as a sustainable enterprise, like a business. Um, but there's a lot to it, right? And so there's a lot of things that, um, you know, that go with nonprofits that are different than running a regular for-profit enterprise. But um, it's been fulfilling for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. But it's also been uh, opened up opportunities for the for-profit side, which, which to me kind of validates this social enterprise concept, mm-hmm. yes. right? The ability to, or the, to show that they don't have to be mutually exclusive like profit and, and, you know, and community and social impact. You could do both. And, and I just think it's a really, now look, it's harder. <laughs> You know, there's easier ways to make money, mm-hmm. but I really do feel like this is, um, for me in particular, I think, uh, this has been a very rewarding, you know, the, the, the struggle is what's great about life. You know, the ability to make it through tough times is what makes you feel like you've done something and feel yeah. fulfilled. And, I, and this is doing that for me. It's making it where it's, it's harder for sure. And, you know, you spend a lot of time and invest a lot of time and resources into things that, you know, if you just spend it, you know, on the for-profit, you can make yourself extremely wealthy, but you know, that's, that's not the ultimate goal, you know? So many people are really drawn to this idea of working, having a great income and lifestyle, acquiring wealth, but also doing good. And so I think that it makes a lot like what you're describing. Well, it may be harder or a different path. I think it's a really valuable experience to share because especially when people are out there looking for workforce, right? Workforce is attracted to oftentimes places where they can be successful. All those things that we define as success, that includes doing good. Um, we're seeing that more and more. Especially now. I mean, I think the, um, the, the generation coming up now has a very different view and expectations of life than, than my generation, right? Than our generation is, which is, you know, they have this balance that they're looking for that just didn't even exist when I was coming up when it was like, you know, you work 16 hours a day because that's what you do and yeah. just shut up and grind and, you know, who cares about the rest of your life? And and they have this appreciation for that. But they also want jobs and they want to live in places that they feel connection and they're giving, there's a, there's a bigger picture in this community and and it's awesome. It's really cool. I mean, they're, and they're, God, man, they're so much more self-aware than us, yeah. <laughs> you know, of like humans and the behavior. And I mean, like, you know, it's like the evolution of human beings. You're seeing it with these younger yeah. kids now. It's like, they just have such a deeper understanding of like why we are, how we are. And, and they're just more advanced. And I think uh, they're looking as, you know, as if you're an employer, understanding that, you know, the talented, the really bright people, yeah, they want to make money, but they also want to feel like they're doing something with some meaning and purpose to it. Mm-hmm. Not just say, I, they don't want to feel this void of just making a ton of money and then going, you know, I'm, you know, on my 10th divorce and I have, my kids don't talk to me and, you know, life is just, I'm, but I got a lot of money, you know, and right. I think they're seeing now that 
maybe it's because they've seen it in their own lives and their parents or people they know and they go, you know, it's not, there's more than just trying to make as much money as possible. It's like, yeah, I want to, I'll feel like I'm doing something. You yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. So tell me in, you know, regular non, non-finance people words, non-developer people words, what exactly does your nonprofit do? So we provide funding and technical assistance. And by technical assistance, I mean really just help to small businesses and developers that are trying to grow their business. So uh, in simple terms, uh, like our developer program, right? You are, you've built or bought a couple houses, rehab them, and you really like this business and you go, you know what? I want to build a 20 unit apartment community or I want to build this 300 unit apartment community. I have no idea how to do that. What do I do? That's what we do at our nonprofit. So it's okay. Well, let me show you how you go from that to building projects like the one we're finishing now. And that includes everything from finding property, putting financing together, capital, design, contractors, design team. And then we help fund their first projects to essentially get them to the point where they can grow and then do it on their own. And when I say do it on their own, they're still doing it on their own when we're helping them. But it's really like there's this point where you go from a single family duplex owner to a 300 unit developer and that transition's not easy and there's a lot of you know hurdles and barriers between those two points and so what we do at the nonprofit is we try to like bring those down mm-hmm. and and provide an access to resources and capital that allow them to get to that point and so it's really it's just you know, it's a teach a man a fish, teach a person a fish type thing. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, we, you got to work and we're, and you got to work hard and, and we're going to show you and provide the tools and the initial capital necessary to get to the point where you can then go out and build that big project or big, do, you know, whatever you're trying to do. And the goal being that if we do that with these people, these developers that want to get into this business, that ultimately they will do the same for the ones below them, mm-hmm. right? And so they're going to bring on, they're going to create jobs and hire people, teach those people. Those people then eventually go on their own. And, you know, and, and so that is the goal of the nonprofit is to, you know, kind of open opportunities to people that, you know, maybe not, they don't have access to those opportunities. Because yeah. it's, not, it's not a difficult business per se, but it's a difficult business to break into, Sure. Right. So the barrier to entry might be high. Once you're in it, you can see that the business itself isn't terribly complicated. But, you know, how do you get to that point? Right. Yeah. You have to get into the business. And a lot of times it's you need to have a network of, you know, it's people that will bring you properties. You need to have a network of investors. You need to have banks willing to give you money. You need to know who to call to design it. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's so many pieces that. It's not like, you know, I mean, I'm sure you could just go and Google and start saying, you know, Google like an architect and, you know, and you can start right. calling, which is honestly, that's how I did it. <laughs> you know? yeah. But, but you know, it's a, uh, it's a relationship business. It's very much a relationship business. It, your network, I, and that's every business. I mean, I think regardless of what I've been involved in, the people, you know, the network you build is like probably the most valuable asset you can, you can actually start working on it, accumulating, yeah. right? Just because 
you'll see people, the developers are like, notorious for this. Like, you know, you see these developers who are worth like a billion dollars and they're bankrupt and then they're worth a billion again the next time. And, and a lot of that is because they've built a network of people and they have a skill set and an expertise that once you have that, you, it's, the, it's there, right? As long as you don't burn bridges and doing all that. But, mm-hmm. you know, and the ability to come back from things or just to, you know, leverage off of that network is just huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And that's and that's true in a lot of like you said, it's true for any business. But I think especially with development, once you've done it and you have that network, it becomes much, much more easy to to replicate and do again and again. They say um, and, and maybe it's a poor you know, comparison, but they say like the first million is the hardest to make. You never heard that like saying? Yeah, I've heard that. I, I'm not there yet. Well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't even just apply to just money. It's like the first anything is the hardest. <laughs> right, right. But once you get to that point, it's like the first deal, the first project, once you make it past that first point, everything gets a lot easier. It's just getting to that point. Yeah. So you're walking people through and helping, you're letting them leverage what you know and what you've done for their first time. That's, that is, I think that's a great, way of summarizing it yeah. better than I said it. <laughs> so, no, no, no. <laughs> listen, you, you explained it very, very well. So, so who is your target group of developers? Like who are you looking to help or, you know, where are you looking for, for folks to get started? That's an excellent question. I think, um, the, for right now, the, the, the target group would be the target person. If I had to pick it like a profile would be somebody who has some experience in real estate, they've done, you know, whether they're a broker or they've invested, they've built a house, bought a house, duplex, whatever the case may be. They have a kind of a general fundamental understanding of real estate and they've, they've discovered that they enjoy it. They love it and they want to make this what they do. Right. And they want to now take it to the next level, which is, all right, I want to make a business out of this. I was an investor or I was kind of dabbling or I was a broker, but now I want to be in this business. And this is the other thing too, that uh, sometimes gets missed. I think, you know, for like, for us with our mission of like small business and, and housing and development, development business is a business. It's, it's jobs. It's a real company, right? It's, it, it is a business itself. And so just like you would start any business, there's a whole, there's a plan, there's an organization you have to set up and there's people and all that. And so the person that has discovered, has, has figured out that they want to be in this and this is what they want to do. That's the ideal person, right? They have an understanding of the business. Now they just need, how do I make this a, how do I build a company? Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that's because then we're almost think of it like an incubator for developers. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at like venture capital, like we are not angel investment, we're like late stage venture. Right. So it's like you've, you know, you know what you're doing. You, you have an idea where you want to go and a plan, but now you just need to get, you need a little help getting there. So it's like, all right, we can provide funding and we could provide, you know, introductions and, you know, open up establish relationships with architects, civil engineer, contractor, brokers, a network of people that could bring opportunities mm-hmm. um, and the people to use to execute on it. And I think that's for us, and this is, a, this is you know, really early stage of what we're doing, but I see potential in it is now they can build the relationships with all of the right people they need to have relationships with to do this over and over again. So, mm-hmm. and for us, that's what we do. like our goal. Our mission as a nonprofit is to get you set up and put you in a position to then do it yourself. 
yep. right? And we're gone, mm-hmm. right? So we, you don't need us beyond a certain point. And that's it, right? That's what we want to do. We want to get people doing it themselves. And they just need that little nudge to get there. Mm-hmm. And that is the goal of it, right? It's not a, we're just going to keep giving you and giving you and giving you. It's like, this is that thing where you, you, you're right there and we need to push it, just get the last step of it. And I had a conversation today with one of the, uh, uh, a guy that's in this, you know, kind of getting into this business. And I said, look, this is a true for me and my own experience as a business owner. And I've seen it with other business owners. 90% of the people that start a business will go. And usually with a business, two to three years before you actually start seeing it become, you know, start actually being successful and bearing fruit. And most people get right to that point and they quit at the last, like right at that mark, yeah. like the week before the tipping point, mm-hmm. right? Like if you just push through that last seven days or 10 days, yeah. you get the call from Whole Foods who wants to buy a million of your product, right? Or you mm-hmm. get that some break that happens. And that, you know, that's, that's part of what we do with the mentorship, you know? And so I was talking to him today and I said, look, let me tell you what to expect for the next three years, right? You want to get into development? As a developer, you're probably not going to make money for two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so plan on figuring out to do these kind of singles and doubles, you know, buying single family, buying existing properties, fixing them up, you know, to get you through that point. And as you build this other side of the business, it'll help you last and sustain longer and it'll keep you motivated. And just always remember when I'm telling you this now, you're going to want to quit a lot because mm-hmm. that's just being self-employed, right? Yeah. Entrepreneurship is just like development, a series of fires and usually it's right at the point where you've just been beaten up and you're just questioning yourself like this isn't going to work. I shouldn't do this. And that when you start hearing that in your head, that's when you know you're close. <laughs> and that's right when you're there and just muscle through that, push through that part of it. And it's always, I mean, listen to any podcast with any successful entrepreneur that sold their company for $10 billion. And the story almost always sounds like we were down to the last dollar. We couldn't make payroll. And then I got a call from Jeff Bezos, you know, and like some it's, and it's like, they're right to the point where they're just about to, you know, throw in the towel, but they didn't and something happened and it, and it happens. Yeah. Well, and I think that's sort of, and you and I've had this conversation before that's sort of why you are an exception, right? Because most people wind up giving up at that before they get to that point, right? The high threshold for pain is what I think. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So do you see like, you know, just, sort of knowing what I know about at least local development, land use development, do you see this nonprofit advancing equity in any way? Uh, explain. What do you- so like, I, it's a, it's a, it, for, for people of color, I feel like there okay. aren't a lot of people of color in, in the business. You're right. And so the focus of our mentorship program is um, minority developers and I think that the fact that there's not many people of color in the development business is kind of a function of what as younger as kids growing up, what they're exposed to, right? Because there's not many now doing it and they just don't even know that it's a real business they can get into. Right. And so I think there's a huge opportunity, an enormous opportunity. And so, you know, you'll hear the word gentrification come up when you talk about redevelopment areas, right? 
And so, and I heard some very interesting points on this. Um, a guy, his name is uh, Cedric Bobo, runs a, a, a nonprofit known as Project Destined. Really cool program. They, they train high school kids and college kids about real estate development and show them that it's an industry. And then they do like a Shark Tank thing and fund mm-hmm. their first. Really cool. I'd love to do something like that here. Um, but exposing them to them and show that you can do it. But when you start talking about the redevelopment of areas, who better than the people that live there to take advantage of it and, 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 you know, and create wealth from it as opposed to just being displaced. But that's a function of education, right? Like, and the, and there's nothing, nobody out there saying, look, you can participate in this. And in fact, you stand the better chance of doing it right. Cause you know, the area, I mean, real estate development is very much a local business. Local knowledge is huge. As I was saying like earlier, it's a, the fact that you know what that property was 15 years ago and who lives in that neighborhood is going to give you the ability to better understand what that property should be if developed. And so this, the nonprofit, I think the opportunity is to, to show that there is not, that you live in these areas, these communities, here's what's happening around you redevelopment and things are coming in and there's a new shopping center and there's housing going up. Well, let let me show you how you can also be a part of that because you can build those things, right? Coming from a person who didn't go to college, you know, just who essentially taught himself how to do this stuff. Trust me, you can learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. And it is a great business and a business that, you know, can help transform communities, generate wealth and have a huge impact. And then one that you can fairly easily teach to other people. This is not like I'm a surgeon and let me show you how to remove a kidney. This is, let me show you how to find a property and then pick a contractor and how to do plans and put the money together and then make sure that they all do what they're supposed to do. And then at the end of it, here's your product. But it can be taught to most people that, you know, want to learn it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's super interesting. And I think for a place like Southwest Florida, where we are not built out by a long shot (laughs) right and there there are so many opportunities for redevelopment we're seeing it happening all the time and for infill and and things like redevelopment and infill are harder you know for a lot of folks and they're harder to review they're harder to get permitted but there's this place is like this is a huge industry here and there's a ton of opportunity here so I think it's I think it's great and I love I love your you know sort of what you're aiming for in terms of who we can lift up in the process. So uh, one thing I didn't mention about our our development business our for-profit business is most of what we do most of the projects we do are in redevelopment areas Mm -hmm. and we've um, really done a lot of these public-private partnerships where we work with municipalities community redevelopment agencies or CRAs and taking these sites in what we view as a great area, right? It's near a downtown. There's all the things that make it cool, right? Or could be cool. And then you go to a city or a CRA and say, look, we want to redevelop this site. We're going to bring X amount of jobs. This is going to help transform this area. Mm -hmm. We're taking on the risk of coming in first in this market. And so can we work with you to, you know, get some economic development incentives that help manage the risk so that we can go out and attract investor capital to an area that otherwise the investors probably would not invest in and let us build this project and let's work together. And we've been extremely successful in doing that. And it's, and, and so the project downtown that we were talking about, 
since that project got started, there's 900 additional residential units being built in downtown Fort Myers because it established that, okay, there's a market there. Mm -hmm. The CRA did a great job of partnering with developers and attracting them saying, hey, we have incentives because they wanted to attract out of, you know, both in town and out of town developers. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a real opportunity. So you say it's more difficult. It is like redevelopment areas and, and these kind of urban core trying to go into an area that's, that needs redevelopment is a heavier lift, but the benefits are uh, there. You could partner with municipalities and cities that may have properties that they would put into a deal. There's economic development incentives that help reduce the amount of equity that you need to bring into a deal. and also allows you to attract outside equity to the project because you have these partnerships and incentives. Mm -hmm. And there is an enormous opportunity there. And I will say, when I, anytime we get to a new business, I've always been amazed that from the outside looking in, you think, man, they have to know what they're doing. These big developers, man, they probably know all about this stuff, mm -hmm. man. They got this huge machine going. And I can tell you that almost none of them do any of this stuff. They don't even try. They don't want to do They just have this machine. And so it's really kind of this niche market where you can not compete with these bigger yeah. developers you can navigate. So you end up with a product that's cool, that's transformative to the area, that you've also got economic development incentives to help mitigate the risk. And the end product is this, you create this cool neighborhood that then builds upon itself, that then increases the value of the property that you just built. Yeah. And you see how this you know, this kind of positive feedback loop where yeah. you start. And it's a, it's a real cool business and one that not many people go after. And so for those that are willing to you know deal with, the upfront heavier lift of it, there's a lot of reward in it. And, uh, and I think there's uh, especially because a lot of these redevelopment communities, you know, there's a large population of, um, you know, of, of minorities in these areas that are seeing development around them. And they're trying to figure out why they're not seeing investment in their communities. And I think it's because as a developer, you just don't know enough about that community, but they see opportunities and so it's just about getting capital and kind of education into those areas because I think there's huge and then they can help shape what those areas become. Yeah, nothing nothing for us without us, right? And I think that like honestly that's the best case scenario if you're going to redevelop um communities is to have the the people that live there be a huge part of it, if not leading the way and definitely benefiting from it is huge. Uh, 100%. I mean, I think that's, and that's the right way of doing it. I mean, I, because it's always interesting to see people go into an area and then tell the people that live there what should be there. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's and like, well, no, that's not what anybody here wants. Yeah. And I think, the, <laughs> and I think the, the real opportunity here, and you said it, and I'm just going to reiterate it, is we don't have a lot of developers that like to do redevelopment because I do think it requires a lot more of what you said in the very beginning, which is that constant problem solving because you're trying to find the last piece of a puzzle, not putting together the edges, right? And so, you know, if you are redeveloping, you're trying to fit something into a spot that has that comes with a lot of requirements and, and, and issues and challenges and opinions and people and history and everything else. So it's just a different way of thinking about development. For me, I think it's more interesting. Um, and I think it's exactly what we need, right? Because there's also, like thinking of social enterprise, there's also protecting our environment. There's also things like affordable housing in 
including transportation costs and housing. And there's things that workers need. And this type of redevelopment is the answer to a lot of that. It is. And I think, and you just touched on a lot of, of other points where development is more than just like building a building, right? And so uh, you hear the word like placemaking a lot mm -hmm. and you hear about like community. And one thing I think that goes overlooked a lot of times, um, the planning of a project up front is really the heavy lift of most projects, right? Which is, you know, putting together a plan in general and then designing it and financing it and all the, all the work that goes up front is really the, the time where you invest. And that's the difference between a project that's a cookie cutter project that could take a year where a little bit more complicated could take two years. But the end result of it is, bo is both more profitable usually, certainly more impactful, and you end up with a place that people want to stay. So in the multifamily business, like what we develop, if you can create a property and an area and a neighborhood and a community that people just like being, mm -hmm. they don't leave. And that's what you want. Well, and it also creates more tax revenue as well. And that means it's better for the community at large. It's everyone, you know. It's, I, you're 100% correct. I mean, again, I think what goes overlooked is you can invest time a lot of, I think, developers, and I shouldn't say this, but I mean, develop, there's a lot of smart, great, you know, developers that, that just do awesome stuff. And um, so I don't want to just put everybody sure. in this thing. Yeah. But, you know, I think, generally speaking, if there's, a, if, if there's extra steps involved, most people try to avoid them, right? Yes. Like, yeah, if I can get to the, the you know, the, the fastest path to something, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to having to go through these other, you know, winding curves to get there. But I think those winding curves end up leading to better projects. And, and along the way, you can integrate into those plans ways to address all the things that you mentioned, the environment, local economy, jobs, and create projects that not are only this one standalone thing, but also part of a bigger, mm -hmm. I hate saying the word ecosystem because it gets so used so much, but yeah. a bigger ecosystem around it. And all of that leads to like in Midtown Fort Myers, like the redevelopment of it, in my mind, we're doing a project there, but the project that we're doing is just one piece of a bigger picture. And we've spent more time than we would normally spend on just doing one project, thinking about everything else around it. Yeah. Because the if planned properly, the whole area could just completely transform, which would not only make that particular parcel that we're developing more valuable, but just make it a better community. Yeah. And quite honestly, just cool. I mean, that's the word I describe all. I try to describe it to people. Like if I had to just pick a word that I'm striving for, it's just cool. Well, like yeah. Just, and we need it to be cool because we need people to want to live here. Want to live there. Attract, need, that's right. We need people to want to stay here. Attract um, talent, retain talent, yeah, all those things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, we've hit a lot of the important points. I think what you're doing is super cool. So, how do you see like your future maker you're coming to the future makers breakfast of champions like how do you see this like supporting this mission of the future makers coalition i think it's a another example of like learning a skill set right <laughs> that that can lead that's outside maybe the normal path that could be both lucrative rewarding and is an option that might not be considered now. So I think like what we're doing and how that ties to future makers is it's another area where you can specialize and get a kind of special education and a and learn a skill set 
that's outside of the normal realm of education that ultimately a could be something that you really have a passion for that you enjoy doing. I mean, honestly, for me, there's not a day that I wake up for work that I feel like I got out of work today. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even describe what I do as work. It's not work. I mean, I, I love this stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love it. Like I, you know, Sundays and Saturdays. I mean, I love the weekends with my kids, man, but I do like Mondays. I like getting back to work. I mean, I just excited about stuff. So if there's people that are just trying to figure out what to do with themselves, like, I don't know. I mean, there's no, there's nothing and there's no job that I can think of that I'm excited about. And they might not even know this is a real business or a career. Right. And so I think that's, I think, you know, offering it up and, and tying into what future makers does as a, as another, you know, another Avenue that they can go with, learning this business, learning this trade and using it to build a career off of is, is how I see it tying into it. And then also just, you know, again, just trying to be, I, I, it's funny when I was younger, the fact that I didn't go to college really made me uncomfortable. Mm. I had a re I was really self-conscious about it. Like when yeah. people, I'd go to meetings and be like, oh, yeah. this guy went to this one, Princeton, he went to Notre Dame, this person went to that, you know, and you're like, where'd you go? And I was like, uh, you know, <laughs> And so as you get older and as I've gotten older and, 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 you know, my career has kind of, you know, evolved and, and, and now I kind of wear it as like a little badge, you know, like, yeah. like, no, I, I didn't go to college, man. And, and not to say like, I'm like, you know, stubbing my nose at like college or, or education, but more like, you know, for those that, especially for younger people where colleges might not be their path, but they have a real like passion especially now with this kind of creative kind of culture that's sure. coming up where you know maybe that's not it but they can learn a, a trade yeah i think that's yeah but but they don't know that and and a lot of people think if i don't go to college i'm just yeah i'm yep. i'm gonna be you know living at home for the rest of my life you, and i not just, everybody needs to go to college but everybody does need to develop skills yes and it's always better if those skills come with some sort of credential to demonstrate that you have competencies in a specific area. 100%. There's, uh, okay, going back, as I'll put my employer hat on now, right? I look at resumes. I look at schools that people went to. But when it comes down to it, if I see experience and then I see like a focused kind of like expertise and to the extent there's certifications tied to that, right? Like you are a CCIM or you are a CFA or you've got this designation, these things. It's like, all right, well, I know to get that it's, you have to go through a process that tells me that you know what you're doing, right? Because to get that designation or certification, you have to do this whole program and all that program is about is that specific thing. And that's what I'm looking for, yep. right? So if I'm an employer in that space and you have that expertise, I really don't care where you went to college. Right. I mean, not like, honestly, but like, cause college degrees, a lot of times when you're looking at people, unless it's like MBAs and Ivy league stuff that you're looking for nowadays, you're kind of like, okay, you went to college. Great. Everybody mm -hmm. else did. But I could see a certification or designation where you know, and I'm looking for this type of person that has this skill set. And I saw that you went through that program. To me, that means more than just the general education. Yeah. Because a lot of people come out of college and they still have no idea what they're doing, <laughs> talking about or doing. Right. Yeah. No, I think that that's, you know, you're right. And I think that that's, you know, these idea of micro credentials, skill badging, all of that stuff is really the wave of the future. And I think, you know, what you're doing will align perfectly with that. I think. And, and since we're, since we are partners, we will work to make sure that there's some sort of credential. And I think we've already talked about this some, 
associated with what you do because not everybody may turn into Joe Benora, right? Some people may go a different direction. Some people may take those skills and go work for somebody else. Some people may take those skills and do a million other things. You know, going back to um to that project destined to that uh, with that mm-hmm. program, it's what they're doing. And, and uh, when I talked to him, he said uh, he spends most of his time getting the word out about the program so that he's building credibility of the program to the employers that he's yeah. trying to get attracted to the mm-hmm. people that graduate the program. Yeah. He's exactly what you're talking about because he's like, my goal is that when they go through, and this is like a future makers, you know, like this is your goal, right? Like, right. which is when I graduate from this program, employers know that I know exactly what they want yeah. their new hires to know. Yep. And it's, and it's, I mean, that to me, and it's interesting that, you know, real estate development is not a, like a topic you learned in college or anywhere. Yeah, so like a yeah. specific training where somebody knows, hey, you went through this this certification process. That means you know how to find a property, put mm-hmm. funding together, you know how to hire an architect, you know, all the steps in the process. It'd be pretty cool because I would hire somebody like if like they went through a program, yeah. there was like a certification like, oh, you went through that? You know, and it was like a one year program or six month program, but it was a high intensity and you had to do a deal at the, yeah. to finish it. Yeah. To graduate, you got to finish a project. You got to build your own yeah. fourplex. Well, you have something to show for it, right? It's a portfolio of sorts, but a different kind. A hundred percent. That's a great way of describing. You have this like, it's almost like resume builder. And by the way, here's what I've done. This track record is part of my curriculum. I had to build a property and I built this thing. We sold it, made this pro- huge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how do folks get involved? So if they're interested in the program, um, you know, we're actually uh, revamping our website to actually put all this and showcase it. We're actually doing a document. We're filming a documentary on our first mentee through the program. Wonderful. So we could show like, uh, here's the process. So they can reach out to us through the website, which is catalystimpact.org. Um, you can email me. It's J-B-O-N-O-R-A at catalystcd, like communitydevelopment.com. Uh, so you can always email me directly. Um, I'm probably more accessible than I should ever be to anybody, but yeah. I take calls and respond to emails and, uh, you know, to my, to my wife's, uh, d- you know, <laughs> just despises the fact that I'm constantly doing it, yep. trying to detach better. But um, yeah, reach out to us directly and uh, we'll get you in the program. The program now is for Southwest Florida. Um, specifically, this CRA program is for the, M- the MLK and the Cleveland Avenue CRA, Community Redevelopment Districts mm-hmm. in Fort Myers, we have the revolving loan program, but the kind of mentorship and funding program is not limited to just that area. So we can finance projects and help out in areas from Tampa down to Naples. So that's kind of our coverage area. We just fund it separately for, you yeah. know, outside of that. Yeah. Awesome. I cannot wait to see what you do. I want to thank you so much for taking all this time and explaining, you know, what a lot of people just don't understand. I mean, I think a lot of people will see that development and just be like, wow, that, that is cool. I wonder how it got there and then just keep driving, right? But to give us this sort of like inside peek of what it is, it's really special. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having having me on. This is uh, awesome. It's It's gone so fast. Yeah, yeah. I told you, man, my, uh, this is one of my lifelong dreams is to be on a podcast and maybe one day have my own podcast. Well, we can talk about that too, <laughs> but I think, you know, would love to have you back with your mentee. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I would love to do that. See how things are going. Absolutely. Right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.